going to talk about the title of the message is simply and he said. I don't know why today is cut off there. Over that. Maybe we should just, I don't know, how's that possible? That the one screen is different than the other screen. I don't know. Maybe we should get a bigger screen for that side. Hey. <laughs> well, it says, for you guys over on the left hand side, it says today. Alright, in case you didn't know. But today we're going to talk about this topic called and he said, and he said, now she's, now it's gone. I don't know. Anyway, let's not get distracted by that screen. He said is God said. It's not what I said, it's not what you said, it's what God said. And I think too often we place an emphasis on what people say. And not on what God said. You're also innocent at the moment. That's fine. But the reality is we've got to let the word of the Lord become what we talk about mostly. Let what he said determine how we live and how we think and how we operate. I want to ask you to take up your Bibles. It's going to be references up there. It's not going to be the full chapter or the full verses and stuff. I want to encourage you and force you a little bit also to bring your Bibles and not just wait for them to put it all up on the screen like, I don't have to bring my Bible. I'm just going to read it up there. No, this is good for you for Bible drill. If you don't know where to get to in a specifically in a specific spot in the Bible, then this is also a great opportunity for you to learn. Genesis chapter 21 is the first one we're going to look at. We're going to mostly deal um, with Genesis and a story from there. So Genesis chapter 21. You all awake? Yes. Right. Right. If I haven't said it before, it's great to see you. There he is. Genesis chapter 1. 21 rather, this one says, The Lord visited Sarah. Say with me, visited. Visited. What a great thing to, to be able to say. The Lord visited Sarah. And as he had said. So obviously God had said something. Here it's coming to fulfillment. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah, listen to this, as he had promised. How's this? About, imagine a testimony like this about your life. The Lord did to me as he had said, as he had promised. Imagine to live with that, with that testimony. I go around and when people ask me, how am I doing? You know what? I'm doing well because as he had said, it's happening. So how's your day been? Oh, it's been tough, but as he had said, he will never leave me not forsaken. I live with that conviction. Conviction as he has promised. And as he had said, this is how my life will be. Eh? As he had said. And so it says in verse 2, And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to them. God had said, you will have a son at this time. It came to fulfillment. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Actually, the name Isaac means laughter, or he laughs. We know where that actually comes from, because somewhere, we'll talk about it just now, but Abram and Sarah laughed, thinking, oh, come on. <laughs> How many of you ever laughed when you think, no, me, never. That's for me, no. <laughs> That's silly. It'll never happen. But when God says, it'll happen. And so we want to be taking a journey this morning from Genesis 12 up to Genesis 21. 
We're going to journey a little bit and see what God promised to Abram and Sarah and what happened in that response to these promises and how these and how there are a couple of obstacles that came up to seeing this promise fulfilled of what God had told them would happen. Now there's a beautiful promise in this bottle. It's called water. I can see it and I can drink it. I'm going to experience it quickly. Praise the Lord for that. And so I'm going to show you how from Genesis 12, every time God had said something, there's been some challenges, some, some issues in the hearts of Abraham and Sarah from believing and from completely understanding what will be that God had said. And then eventually we'll come to, again, where we have to start it. Abraham uh, or um, Sarah being, uh, being able to bear a son in Genesis 21. So let's start at Genesis 12 and look at this amazing process where God makes promises and hurdles come up that threaten the outcome of the promise. And now eventually it was a dual process that brought about the promise, God's faithfulness to Abraham, but also their obedience and faith in God. So God had promised, they also had to believe. And so the first promise along the journey to the promise is found in Genesis 12. So we were at 21, now we go to 1, 2. Alright? You're all still there. I'm going to check up on you, hey? Because I can't see, you know, your smiles. Some of you I can. At least you're not covering your eyes. Um, that'll be quite an interesting one if you start having to cover our eyes and you can just fall asleep. Hey? My goodness. Genesis 12. Listen to this. Now the Lord said to Abraham, the Lord says, Genesis 21, as he had said, happened. Sometimes there's a journey between what God said and when it actually is fulfilled. That's what we want to talk about this morning, the long journey sometimes. And so it says, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, to leave where you're at. And I will make you, make of you a great nation. Here's a promise coming. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Wonderful thing that I will bless you so that you will be blessed. Yeah. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. How many of you want to be blessed again? Just raise those hands. You know, so you know, they realize what's coming. You will be blessed. But God says, you need to also be a blessing. How many of you are a blessing? Yeah, well done, Ingrid. It's by virtue of your own um, you know, perception. Can we ask Alec if you're a blessing to No, no, don't worry. <laughs> so we need to understand that God wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing. It says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you and he who dishonors you, I will curse him. And in all and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so God says to him, I will make you a great nation. I will reassure you that you have a future with amazing plans. But here in this context, there's a condition that says you've got to leave your country, you've got to leave your family, you've got to obey me. And so it's not just they sit back and relax. You've got to step out in faith. Eh? Go to a place where you've never been. You couldn't Google quickly. Okay, let's just talk about where God's taking me. Uh, you wouldn't have known at that time that it would have been Canaan, but you couldn't Google Canaan and say, oh, is that what it's like? Okay, that's fine. Okay, maybe they can make contact with some people there. At least they can, you know, kind of um, familiarize me with what's happening there. No, no, nothing like that. You have to step out in faith. And so the first obstacle here, immediately, we find in Genesis 12, 
verse 4. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, that's incredible obedience. Well done to Abraham, eh? Let's give him a hand. Come on. These are just simple preachers, tools to keep you awake. <laughs> they learned to teach us this in the Bible school 101, how to keep people awake. Anyway, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, his brother. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took his wife, Sarah, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. That's what they did. They simply went. But here, we have a complication. A little bit of a hurdle. They've just been promised, I will make you a man great, you will be a blessing, and I will make you a great nation. In other words, God is saying there will be children born. We know from 11, chapter 11, verse 30, that it says of Sarah, Sarai at that time, that she was barren. At this stage also we find that um, Abram is 75 and his wife is 65. Chances of bearing a son is like really, really big, hey? I'm not going to ask how many of you are 75 or 65, but none of you are thinking about having children at 65 or 75. Some of you are 35 or 45, whatever it is, and you think, oh, that's enough. Come to the place where you know, children and more children is not a, really an option. Um, but 65, 75, probably not. So that probably could be an obstacle already in, in Abraham's mind. He's saying, okay, I'll go. I'm not completely understanding how this thing is going to work. Uh, God says, I will make your name great and so you obeys God, but not quite sure. God comes with another promise in, in verses 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. Offspring. 75, 65. It's not money. It's not thinking. But God's promising. It says, So he built there an altar to the Lord. That's what um, Abram did, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country of the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. And again he built an altar. So he's appreciating what God's saying. He's honoring God. And God is repeating the promise that he had just given to him right at the beginning before he left. And he's wondering, I'm sure. How many of you would be wondering? Well, God says, I will make you a great nation. And I will give you an offspring. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe none of you, maybe just me. But I wonder. And possibly there's a, there's a hindrance here, there's a hurdle to overcome. Then we find a real hurdle of problem arising here in verse 10 of chapter 12. Story. And it's a word called famine. It says there was a famine in the land. So the place where he moved to, where God wanted him to be, he was incredibly obedient to leave everything to come here. When he gets there, there's a famine. Yeah. I don't know. So where he previously had listened to God and done exactly what God had told him to do, now a famine breaks out and, and they leave the very land and he has just been promised for his offering or for his offspring um, that, that it'll be his and, and yet now there's a famine. It seems like this this move of going to Egypt has not been an instruction by God. Maybe it's just, we don't read too much about it, but it seems like God didn't tell him to do this. There are other times when God has told people to move to Egypt. 
God, God orchestrated events for Joseph to get to Egypt so that the nation of Israel could be saved through that. And, and you know about famous other person that moved to Egypt? Jesus. Uh-huh. Jesus did. Joseph and Mary took him there because obviously it was a threat on his life. But here we find Seth like Abram moved out in fear of, hey, I'm not able to sustain myself here. I'm going to make a plan. <laughs> I mean, God's promised, and it seems like God's not aware of this family issue, so let me just make a plan. And so let me take my wife to, to, to Egypt. And, and so he does. And um, where he does what God tells him in verse 4, in verse 10, it seems like he does his own thing. And, and the question is, how many times do we not do the same? <laughs> we get into a spot of bother. We call it famine. Uh, it's just not working the way that I that I thought it would, and that God said it will. And, and, and okay, let me let me make a plan. And, and we come up with with our plans, but actually our plans lead to more complications. Because guess what happens in in chapter twelve or verse chapter twelve? We see that he moves to Egypt, but then because of his wife, it's amazing. This woman was spectacular. At 65, she draws attention. Even later in her life, it happens again. So she was incredibly beautiful and attractive. And so Pharaoh sees her, the king of Egypt, and, and he wants her as his wife. And so Abram knew that he's my wife is a beauty. <laughs> so I'm going to make some provision because just now they kill me. And so he says, listen, you'll be my sister now. Which in the sense is a half-truth because she was kind of like his half-sister, but he did it really because of fear, and so Pharaoh takes him, um, him, her as a possible wife, but then the Lord afflicted Pharaoh with a plague, and and um, he's like, oh, what's happening? And so he realizes that the AI hey, done something, I took in somebody else's wife, he's like, Abraham, what have you done? You lied to me. So the complication is this, we step out of, out of God's will, should have been here, hey, there's a famine, that doesn't mean that's not God's will. Amen? I step out of it and, and another complication comes. Now I've got a lie to keep myself secure and safe. And I put somebody else's life on, uh, you know, on the, on the in jeopardy too. Because I moved out of God's will. God had promised, but hey, it doesn't look like it's coming to fulfillment. So let me just make a plan to keep myself safe. So watch out for your plan, for my plan. But I think it's not working the way that it's supposed to be going. Let me make another plan. And another plan leads to another problem, <laughs> which is self-inflicted. And so he's worried about his ability to survive, and he, and he feels that he has to find a way to protect himself. And his selfish actions imply that he thinks God is actually unable to protect him, I think, and, and actually is an, indeed a picture of self-reliance. So what picture are you portraying at the moment in your life? Is it one of self-reliance or complete faith in God? Complete faith in God. Unconditional faith in God. But as he said, as he said, I trust that it will happen. No matter what I see, no matter what I find, what I hear about the situation in Zimbabwe, as he said, I promise, I, I know that what he promised will be fulfilled and I trust him for that. And I will not make an alternative plan. So here again, we see that happen. 
And now God promises confirm again. And, and we see this in verse 17. Where God afflicts Pharaoh actually to release Abram and Sarah to go back. So God's promise is fulfilled in a specific action. God had promised, this is what I will do. This is what will be for you. You step out of it, but I, I, by my grace, this is the incredible grace of God. He brings them back into the promised land. And we see then that they move into that. Um, it says in verse 1 of chapter 13, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him, into the Negev. That's where he moved from, to go to Egypt. Now he's back. And the blessing is that he was very rich in livestock. So it's an incredible favor of God. Didn't deserve it, acted in disobedience and sin, but God still, his blessing is there. And so we see now that God promises again. So we're on our journey between Genesis 12 and Genesis 21. You're still with me? All right, don't, don't get lost along the way here. Don't get stuck in a desert somewhere. Don't get stuck in Egypt. All right, we've now moved out of Egypt, okay? In Genesis 13, we see again God promising in verse 14. He says, The Lord said to Abraham, After Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I'll give to you and to your offspring forever. It's amazing how committed God is to help us see what He wants us to see. He knows that we are incapable. The things that we see are not always the things that God wants us to see. But God keeps on, yeah, for, for Abram keeps on confirming the promise over and over and over again. Because He knows afraid we are. And so why don't you make an effort of constantly exposing yourself or letting the word touch your heart so that you can see the promises of God and what he wants so that he can keep and sustain yourself in a time of difficulty. He carries on, I will make you offspring as a dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Amazing promise that he gives and explains not only the extent of the land for his descendants, but that, that, that what they will inherit, but also how numerous they will be. He says, not only the land, but they will be filled. This land will be filled with people as much as you can see the, the, the dust of the earth, as much as you can count it. So again, God promises. And you know what? A beautiful thing again um, in Genesis 15. Um, God promises that again. We'll get there now. And now we find the fourth obstacle. No, actually, there is, there's another promise. Let's go to the next promise in Genesis 15. Go with me there, please, on the screen. Not, not there. All right. Genesis 15, verses 1 to 6. Let me read it to you. God confirms again his promise. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. How sad. But Abraham said, O oh Lord, our oh God, what would you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, 
you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Promise him again, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, again, God promised him, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and accounted him for righteousness. How beautiful is that? So God comes through again. He does it again. He says, I will. I will. Abraham says, but should I not rather use one of my other sons from another woman? No, no, no. God says, it will be from Sarah. Okay. And somehow, something starts kicking in. It seems that Abraham is saying, okay, God, I believe you. We find another obstacle. You're in Genesis 16 now. Verses 1 to 3. It says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. Fourth obstacle. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from being bearing children. I should blame it on the Lord. Eh? How many times do we blame our spiritual barrenness or whatever barrenness we have on somebody else? So I can't because of them. What they've done to me, I'm not able to are therefore not able to whatever. People's pain on me and them hurting me has caused me to be resentful and angry and have a bad temper. But you don't know what people did to me. We can never blame anybody else. We've got to take responsibility for where we are and say, God, please help me deal with the things of my life. Anyway, she says, Behold, now because God has not given me children, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram, listen to the voice of Sarah. It makes you think of Adam. Ah. You listen. We're not blaming Sarah or Adam or Eve now, or women. You just say, hey, stick to what God told you. Who are you listening to today? To get to what God has promised you. Are you listening to man's ways, your own way out, your own way forward? Are you listening to God? And so we know what happens is that they do not hold on to the promise made by God and, and decide to come up with their own plan to provide for an offspring or an heir. And so this is where Ishmael is born. A human plan made always has the potential to obstruct God's plan. And again, God's mercy and His kindness comes through. And even in the midst of that, we find Genesis 17, another promise. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Here it comes through again. Once more, God promises. It says that in the midst of this, we <laughs> where, where um, Ishmael has been born. Now, this is 13 years after he was born. Eh? So Ishmael is about that age. God is still committed to see the promise fulfilled. He confirms a covenant with him yet again. It says there, this is one. It says, when Abram was now 99 years old, that would mean that his wife is 89. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. 
that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. That's what he had said to him from the beginning. The promise is still standing, even though Abraham has messed up, tried his own ways, ran away to Egypt, had another son somewhere else, and, and God says, my promise is still standing. I want you to walk before me, be blameless. I want you to have faith in me. And listen to what happens. From now on, he says, no longer will your name be Abram, but your wife be Sarai. You will be Abraham, and your wife will be Sarah, because it's a sign of my covenant with you. And circumcision came out of that. But listen to this in verse 10. It says, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Verse 6 says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. Count with me the number of times I will appears in this portion. I've counted three times so far, right? It says, I will do this. From verse 10. Three already. Verse 7 says, and I will establish my covenant between me and you. Verse 8 says, and I will give you to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. And later, last in then, verse 8 says, and I will be their God. And then later down in verse 15, 16, it says, And I will bless her, your wife now, that will be called Sarah. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. And I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. How's that? Nine times does God repeat, I will. I will. He says, only you believe. He keeps on promising. He keeps on repeating his promise. We see that in Genesis 17, in uh, verse 17 to 18, another obstacle appears. In the midst of all of this stuff, right? We see that it says the following. Verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face. After nine I wills. Alright? It says he fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Who's that? I'm 100. She's 90. What you've said, I just can't imagine that. It's probably Ishmael. God comes again. He says, No. It says, I will, in verse 8, 19, God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Because now another few iron wills come through, another four. It says, I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and multiply greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at his time next year. Some more idols coming. In the midst of this incredible obstacle of saying, God, I think it's going to be Ishmael, I'm too old. God confirms his game. No, it will not be Ishmael. It will be Isaac. Just believe me. It's amazing. You would think that, okay, that settles it now. Alright, done deal. <laughs> now, we, now we go to Sarah. 
And in chapter 18, we read the following from verse 10. Now, um, there was an appearance of the Lord to Abraham, seemingly to angels, and, and they spoke to, to Abraham. And uh, let me read to you from verse 9. And they said to him, to, to Abraham, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, The Lord was there with Abraham. And it says, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah is 90. I'm 100. Okay. I mean, it's been since the age of 75, God has spoken to me about this. He's now 100 years. That's 25 years' journey, ladies and gentlemen. God has been confirming over and over and over again His word and His promise to Abraham. Abraham is now close to the place where he feels that this is very possible. He has just gone to a time when Abraham fell on his face and he laughed. He said to himself, this is just crazy. <laughs> you know, a hundred years not God, can you, can you just, you know, don't look at me. So we find that, that Sarah appears and she's listening. It says, uh, The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Uh, I don't know whether that was allowed, but anyway, she was inquisitive, as, as sometimes people are. As sometimes people are. Not necessarily ladies. But, but inquisitivity <laughs> is something that we all have, isn't it? Huh? Huh? What was that? What was that? <laughs> and so Sarah finds herself there. And she's overhearing what the Lord is saying to Abraham. And so she thinks to herself, um, it says in this letter, Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. All right, the normal cycles that women go through. Verse 12 said, So Sarah laughed. We just had a husband laugh. Now she's also laughing and saying, After I am worn out and my Lord, my husband, is old, shall I have pleasure? It's like, seriously, <laughs> this cannot be possible. <laughs> it's like, Abraham and I, he said, You and I, it's just not going to make money to do this one. It's like, You're 100, I'm 90. And uh, she laughs. So there's a major obstacle. And, and, and she laughs at the idea of falling pregnant. God again, verse 13. Listen to this. The Lord said to Abraham, because God knows everything, hey. When you're being inquisitive, when you're overhearing and you're laughing inside, God sees that. <laughs> Even right now when you think, oh, gee, I don't know about this stuff. God sees it, not to condemn you, but just to realize that God knows our thoughts. And he hears our laughs. Even a mocking laugh. It says, um, verse 13, Why does Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? God says to Abraham. It's amazing that God takes, goes to Abraham, not to Sarah. God has been speaking to Abraham, indicating to me that God has said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to impart this promise to your wife, that together you'll be in unity. I want you to guide her in this affair. So when she laughs, Abram, what's up, buddy? I hold you responsible for that love. 
Ixi. Ouch. Né? So when our wives go another route, don't, don't you start scolding them. You take responsibility as a husband before God and say, God, if my wife is laughing at you, please, if there's anything that I have not said and should not have said, I accept that before you. Come on, man. We all want to be male, eh? It's another thing to be a man. You're male by, by birth. You're a man by choice. Come on. Come on now. So let's be the men that God wants us to be. Anyway, we're getting closer to chapter 21, so you better know that we're coming in for a landing somewhere, hey? So you're like, thank God that's tempted if we're at chapter 20 already. Because here in chapter 20, we find another issue happening. Verses 1 to 18, we're not going to go through the story. But it seems like to be a repeat of what happened when Abraham moved to Egypt. So it says from there, verse 1 of chapter 20, from there Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned to Gerar. And Abraham said of, his, of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. <laughs> I mean, come on! It's now how many promises made and confirmed over and over again that I will be with you and this is what I will do. He still has this Mindset that says, I've got to take care of myself. I've got to look after for my own future. So Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent it to Sarah. Sarah is 90 now. She's still an amazing beauty. <laughs> She's like, when the guys see her, Abimelech, the king of Gerar, is like, hey, I want that one. That familiar. <laughs> How many of you at the age of 90? None of you are 90 here this morning. But imagine just at the age of 90, guys are like, my goodness, look at that woman. Hey? So we prophesy that. <laughs> not the 90 thing, but the beautiful thing. Because we could be 90 and not, but oh, shame, look at her. This one was different, eh? <laughs> anyway, let's get back to the point. So he's there, and, and Abimelech wants her as his wife. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and spoke to him clear. <laughs> so this guy is like, oh my goodness me, what have I done? Same story. He's like, Abram, bro, you de deceived me. So yeah, but I was afraid. <laughs> so he lies again because he, um, he realizes that this wife of his is evidently much, she looks much younger than what she really is. So I'm going to take care of my future. And so again, God's, God in His incredible grace, the obstacle of disbelief and of fear, God comes in, He speaks to Abimelech, He says, buddy, get rid of this woman, this, way, this woman in your house, otherwise it will be a disaster for you. And He actually makes up, He gives Him gifts to Abraham. It's like, man, that's a wonderful way to make money. Eh? You just go around pretending that your beautiful wife is your sister. Other guys will pay you when they feel that in trouble. No, that's not what we should be doing. Anyway, that's the grace of God. We then get to chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. God did what he said he would because of Abraham and Sarah's faith. Yet their faith required an action. And that's quite a funny thing to think of it because 
God had promised them that they will have a child. They went through all of this stuff, trying their own ways, but eventually it required them to actually have sexual intercourse. What an amazing, what an amazing action to have at the age of 190 to know that this could lead to the seed. Faith without works is what? And surely the miracle took place with both of their physical cooperation. What brought about the promise of God was certainly not Abraham's inability to do good deeds, because there were many of those. Abraham did a lot of good things. He, um, he listened to God and left his country where he was from. He, it was a good work when he separated from Lot, his, his um, um, relative, and, and, and a noble way, incredibly noble way. It was a good work later, earlier on in the chapters. You find that he gave a tenth of his offering, uh, of, of his income, to Melchizedek the priest. Um, he, it was a good work when he prayed for Sodom not to be fully destroyed. So he did many works, but the Bible said that none of these brought about the fulfillment of the promise made by God. The promise was fulfilled through the role of faith. That's what we find. And I want to take you there in conclusion. Please be with me. We're almost there. Romans chapter 4. This is a beautiful chapter talking about Abraham in the New Testament. Romans chapter 4. Go read this entire chapter today, wouldn't you? Just to kind of let you, let you see so much more. But I can only read to you a few verses. It says in verse 1, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? Was it gained by the flesh what he had? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. He may have been able to boast before men and say, I left my father's house, and I left this, and I did that, but before God, he couldn't use that to boast. It says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham, just three words, Abraham believed God. Could that be the testimony? For it says, and this, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but it is his due. You've got to work. You've got to do these things. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So what, what made the promise be fulfilled, apart from God's faithfulness, was the faith that Abraham had in God. Not all his good deeds. Because none of that can ever justify us. You can say the promise says this, and if I, if I just do all this stuff. No, it's faith. If there's no faith involved. We spoke about it yesterday, just Clive and I, and he used the example, he says, the word says, if you meditate on the word of the Lord, then these things will happen. But if you meditate without faith, then that meditation is an empty work. If you give your offering and say, oh, I give my 10 bucks, then I'll, no, I'm going to have that much. If there's no faith involved, a faith of God, I thank you for what I have, that I have 10 bucks to give. And I thank you that as I give, you will do whatever you want. I'm not going to name, claim, and frame the thing. I'm going to trust you because my faith is in you. That's what made this promise be fulfilled. In verse 13 it says, For the promise to Abraham and his offering that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Of faith. 
For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. If we get our promise fulfilled through keeping the law, doing all this stuff, coming to a morning meeting, oh, this will keep me in step with God, then the adherence to the law is null because it cannot do that for us. But it is only faith, ladies and gentlemen. Our faith in God. God's promises to us are not dependent upon our good behavior, but on our faith and obedience to Him and His faithfulness to us. So don't try to, you know, kind of arm wrestle God with your good deeds. Like, yeah, I've done this, God. Yeah, you're going to do your bit. Okay. This is that. It's faith in me. Absolute faith. If you look at this journey that God took Abraham and Sarah on, you see the promises fulfilled here. Promises made there, but this is a long journey. And like seven obstacles, like six promises, seven promises confirmed again, seven times God confirmed it, so that they could have faith in Him. I don't encourage you this morning. Thank you for your time. I don't encourage you about your faith, my faith in God. You can, again, repeat all the promises that there are in the world, in the Word. He said there are 3,000. But if you don't have faith in God, those promises mean nothing. So work and your faith in God. And may God help us to see those promises before. By virtue of our faith.